Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. How's everybody doing this weekend? My name is Clark, and I'm one of the leaders here on staff. And if I haven't met you yet, love to meet with you and chat with you out in the lobby after service. So feel free to stick around. Love to just uh, catch up with you as well. I hope everybody is having a good weekend. I hope you're getting a lot of Christmas shopping done, or at least thinking about it. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I uh, decided to take our 16-month-old son out to get the family Christmas tree. So we did that, and we got a picture of him in front of the family tree before we cut it down, and he was really, really proud of himself with that. And then we asked him if we could uh, all get a family photo in front of it, and uh, I don't think he was really on board for that because he got really, really upset. So we're learning more and more that he's more independent. So 16 months old, and he already just kind of wants to go it alone. So, But that's okay. So we'll decorate that soon. Well, we're going to be starting a, a brand new uh, Advent series here today. And during this Advent series, I just want to encourage you uh, to do something. <laughs> Are we good? Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm just like... All right. I want to encourage you to uh, cover your ears. But uh, then after you do that, <laughs> I want to encourage you to stop and listen to the songs of Christmas. And that might sound a little bit strange on the surface, but I want to encourage you to stop and listen to the songs of Christmas. And when I say that, I don't mean Jingle Bells, Little Drummer Boy, and All I Want for Christmas is You. And I'm also not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with those types of Christmas songs either. But I'm talking about the songs of Christmas that we see in the Gospel of Luke that lead us up to the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Four songs, in fact. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In the uh, Gospel of Luke, we see these four songs. Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. The angel song in Luke 2, as well as Simeon's song. And here's why it's so important for you to know that. Whether you're someone who has been following Jesus your whole life, just about, or whether you're someone who is investigating Christianity Perhaps you're investigating the truths and the claims about Jesus Christ and who He is, what He's done. You need to know these four songs because they hold a very unique place, both in the Bibles that you're holding in your hands this morning, as well as the life of the Christian church. And they all point to what Christians commonly refer to and call the incarnation. Sounds like a big word, right? The incarnation, what is that? It's a term that theologians use to indicate that Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. It's what Christmas is all about. Jesus, the Son of God, taking on human flesh in order to be the Savior of mankind, to fulfill the law on our behalf, as the Bible would tell us, to shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins, because the baby in the manger is the man on the cross. Without the incarnation, without God putting skin on, becoming flesh, growing, becoming a man, dying an atoning, sacrificial death for us, without God becoming flesh, Christ could not die, and the cross is meaningless. 
So these four songs that we're going to be looking at and studying from now leading up to Christmas, they point to that. They point to the birth of Christ. So what do I want you to do? Well, I said it already, but I'll say it again. During this series, as your pastor, I'm asking you to stop and listen to the songs of Christmas. And by the way, one of the ways that you can practically do that is by locking in all four weeks of this series. And you're already here this morning, so congratulations, you're already on your way. Another reason I think that it is so uh, vital for us, whether we're followers of Jesus or someone investigating Christianity, to lock in is because I just don't want you to miss Christmas. And that might sound a little bit silly, but I don't want you to miss it. Uh, What's at stake here is missing the whole point altogether. Don't miss the incarnation. Don't miss the Advent experience. Advent, by the way, the Latin word, it is a Latin word, Advent, and it literally means coming. Who's coming? Santa Claus coming to town? Well, I don't know about that, but Jesus Christ, the King, he is, he is coming. The King, the Son of God, will be born. And that's what we remember and think about every year. So don't hear me wrong when I say any of that. I want you to enjoy decorating the tree. I know we will. Enjoy the caroling. Enjoy, my goodness, enjoy the cookies. Enjoy the presents. But just don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Jesus. So as we look at these four songs together, just know that that is the goal of this series, to stop and listen to the songs of Christmas. Today, in fact, I want to invite you to wonder with me of God's great reversal. That's the title of today's message. We're going to be looking at the first song together, Mary's song, and we're going to see that God's kingdom turns the world upside down. We're going to see this great reversal highlighted in three ways this morning. We're going to see that God favors the meek, not the strong. God favors the humble, not the proud. And God favors the hungry, not the rich. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to be in today's text. And let's look at that first heading together. God favors the meek, not the strong. Notice in Luke chapter 1, breaking in at verse 46, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will, be, will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, here's the point with this part of the text this morning we're looking at. Mary is celebrating. She's celebrating the fact that God is using her not despite of her weakness, but because of it. She's celebrating the fact that God is using her not despite her weakness, but because of it. Think about Mary for a second. She's likely a teenage girl. She's a commoner. She's not upper class. She's not married. She's a virgin. Yet Gabriel, an angel and messenger of God, has just visited her, and he told her that she will conceive without ever having known a man. And it's because of Mary's purity and meekness that God favors her and will use her as a vessel to bring 
the Messiah into the world. And it's in her meekness that the unexpected kingdom comes. We see this meekness on display in her response to Gabriel. If we go back to verse 34, notice what she says. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And this question for Mary is not one of doubting. It's actually a question of trust. She believes Gabriel, but is earnestly asking, literally, how is this going to happen? And I imagine this being similar to me trying to explain the way things in the world works to my 16-month-old son once he actually is old enough for us to have a back-and-forth conversation, of course. Dad, why does the sun come up and down in the sky every day? Well, son, it's because the earth rotates at a thousand miles an hour over and over again around the sun. Okay, but how exactly does that happen? You see, Mary's question is one of belief and trust. Her how is asked with the wonder of a child. Gabriel gently explains to her that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her and she'll conceive and bear a son, the Son of God. Notice in verse 38, she responds, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Do you notice her posture and her gentleness, her meekness? In her song, she celebrates. Notice again in verse 48, For he has been mindful He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see, God favors the meek, not the strong. And this is how God has always worked, by the way. We see this especially in the Old Testament of our Bibles. God chose Jacob, not Esau. You think about the Lord choosing David and rejecting Saul. You might recall our summer series in the life of David. We looked at that. Saul was the king that was desired by the people son of a rich man and no one else handsome like him a head taller than everyone else strong but you see the story unfold and you see how relying on his own strength as Saul relied on his own strength how far that actually gets him and then there's David David was an afterthought compared to the rest of his brothers and yet it was David that God chose Small, youthful, meek. And in that reversal, God delivered his people through the hands of David while he slayed Goliath with a stone, not with a sword. So you see this morning, God invites each and every one of us to a different kind of kingdom, the upside-down kingdom, a different kind of kingdom with different kinds of values. God's great reversal using the meek, not the strong, And it shows his character, and it shows God's glory. And it reminds us of who the strong is. It reminds us who the author is. And in this great reversal, it shows us what it truly means to be human. And how we were meant to be created in his image and reflecting his character and his glory. And in the kingdom of God, meekness is strength. But it's God's strength, it's not our strength. It's not what the world values. It's not what the world expects. And it's in this reversal, in us and through us, that God's glory and strength are put on full 
display. And do you want to know why that we can resist the worldly strength and instead live in God's strength? And the answer is because God has come in power, but he has clothed himself in meekness in the form of a helpless child. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong, and it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. So the first great reversal in Mary's song is that God's kingdom, God's kingdom strength is coming by way of a meek virgin's womb. Now wonder with me at the second great reversal. God favors the humble, not the proud. God favors the humble, not the proud. Look back at verse 46 with me. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be called, will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So you see, Mary is not a person of stature in society. She's lowly. She's a nobody. And yet her heart rejoices because God has looked on her. And he has seen her and he knows her and he's been near to her. And it's not just that. Notice, generations will call me blessed, she says. Not just, wow, I feel really blessed today. You have a blessed day. But instead, generations upon generations for all eternity will call Mary blessed. And her response in her song reflects her character and her posture of humility. Her soul magnifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoices. She celebrates that God is near to her and that sees her in her humility. And then notice that she only spends a few verses pointing to herself, and then quickly she turns to rejoicing about what this means for others, for God's people. Notice in verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. The point is this. God writes wrongs. God writes the wrongs. He brings His kingdom values to fruition in the world by fulfilling His covenant promises. Humility, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis describes humility this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. So you might be thinking to yourself this morning, what does pride really look like? I mean, I know pride when it's extreme, when it's the outright strong will pride. I know what that can look like, but what about the subtle, 
kind of pride? What does that look like? How does that show up? I can tell you for me personally, it looks like autonomy. Self-sufficiency. It's the, I got this. I don't need anyone's help approach to life. But what we see in today's text is humble Mary sees beyond her immediate circumstances. The potential crisis at hand for her, she demonstrates a confident dependence upon God. Who God is and how he acts. God is strong, God is mighty, and God is merciful. And there's also this timelessness to her song. It's not just now, but it's forever that's in Mary's view. And that peace and that joy that it brings to her, God's covenant faithfulness to his people supersedes anything and everything about you and me. And God is at work here as he has always been bringing about his kingdom reversal. Now notice in verse 51, she says, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Martin Luther put it this way, said, God is the kind of Lord who does nothing but exalt those of low degree and put down the mighty from their thrones. In short, break what is whole and make whole what is broken. And Jesus, Jesus himself, he shows us later on in the Gospel of Luke what this kingdom reversal will look like in his parable of the wedding feast. It says this, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, when we think about Christmas, we think about God putting on skin, becoming a baby in a manger. The incarnation, the manner of Christ's coming is a reversal of what the world expects. The world expects this conquering king. But here we see the humblest of entries. First in a womb, and then a baby in a manger. And then on a cross. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was laid most low so that he could be exalted most high. In the kingdom, our boasting is in God not ourselves, so that his glory may be made known in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls and in our strength. His cross humbles us, and it makes us have no ground to stand on, and his resurrection exalts us. Our lives and our pride can be found in him, and in this reversal, God's glory in the gospel is on full display, and that's really good news. So what we see is God favors the meek, not the strong, the humble, 
not the proud. And then finally, we see God favors the hungry, not the rich. The hungry, not the rich. Notice in verse 53, Mary says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Do you see her disposition before God here? She's needy physically, yes, but she's also needy spiritually. God is a God who fills the hungry with good things. Let me ask you something. When you tell people from out of state that you're from Ohio, and they look at you like, okay, what's Ohio got? This used to happen to me all the time when I lived in the Pacific Northwest. But when that happens, what are the things that come to your mind immediately as you try to make Ohio seem more significant? I know for me, I'd oftentimes say, well, you know, in Ohio, we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Or we have the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. And then, of course, you know, my secret weapon, I would say, well, in Ohio, we have the Cedar Point Amusement Park in Sandusky. Right? I mean, we might not have a lot going for us, but hey, people from all over the country come to Ohio to enjoy those things. And so by associating with those things, we're trying to draw ourselves closely, whether consciously or not, to the significance of all of that. Because in some weird, twisted way, it makes us feel just a little bit more significant, a little bit more valuable to the world, or at least that's how the logic goes. But what about you? What are some of the ways that you see yourself clinging to reputation, to money, to wealth, status, achievement, the size of your savings or 401k, the success that you long for in the workplace as a way to mark you as significant. Jesus had much to say about the dangers of the love of money. One, once there was a rich young ruler once asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And he seems to have passed Jesus' litmus test. But then Jesus says this to him. You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. James puts it this way. Now, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Gold and silver are corroded. That's pretty bleak, right? Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The bottom line is this. God is a God of generosity and justice. He fills the hungry with good things, and he sends the rich away empty. Think of this. Jesus Christ, Jesus himself was poor. Mary didn't have some palace to roll into to deliver this king. 
There wasn't even a room for her and Joseph at the end. It would be like a Motel 6 for us. This king comes to the world in a barn, surrounded by animal food and feces, swaddled in a food trough. So what do you do with a message like this? How does this intersect our day-to-day lives? What does this look like around the dinner table? How does this look at your workplace? Well, I would say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, which I understand, maybe not everybody here is, but if you are a follower of Christ, if Jesus is your king, then the call for you this morning is to see that this kingdom comes not with riches, but with a needy spirit and a generous heart. See your king Jesus in his humility, in his poverty, and worship him with all that you have. He's redeemed you. He has bought you with a price. And he's redeemed you and he's set you free from the love of money. With his spirit living in you, you can demonstrate his love for the lowly and the poor. And the reason that you can is because in Christ, you have all the riches that you will ever need. In Christ, we are made rich, but not with what the world thinks is rich. If Jesus is your king, you can celebrate this morning because naked you came into the world and naked you will leave it. Put your trust in this king who was poor so that your riches will be that your name is written in the book of life. And then in heaven you will have the glory of Christ as your greatest possession. So as we close this morning, would you just rejoice with me at how good that news is? That the God who turns the world upside down at how wonderful and how worshipful it is that his kingdom reverses what the world says has worth and value. In a world that defines beauty and strength with these unattainable standards that are so defeating, where the meek are constantly dismissed, isn't it good news that Christ, in Christ we have eternal beauty, the supernatural strength of God, so that we can reflect and emanate the character and the love of Christ in a society that is all about showing off your life and wearing your success on your sleeve and boasting in all things you? Isn't it good news that God came into the world in the humblest of circumstances by a poor virgin's womb as a poor man, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in a season that bombards you with consumerism and possessions and tells you, hey, even the things that you have, they're not good enough. They're never going to last. Isn't it good news that in Christ we are rich in the kingdom of God? We have eternal treasure in heaven where moths and rust will not destroy. And we see in Mary's song how beautiful the kingdom of God is, that it comes in the simplest and most unseen ways to the people and places that are most forgotten. Here this morning in Mary's words, God sees you and God knows you. To you who feel overlooked and dismissed, rejoice. And wonder at a God who furthers his kingdom through your love and your faithfulness. To you who are wondering if you could ever make a success of your life, celebrate this morning that though the world might dismiss you, 
God is at work reversing the world's values. That all that the world is trying to sell you, it will actually not last. And it's actually not even worth it. God's kingdom gives you all the worth that you could ever ask for. And all it takes is you surrendering yourself to Jesus. So maybe today's the day that you do that. Maybe for some of you, today is the day that you put a stake in the ground and say, I want to surrender my life to Christ because i got to be honest, what I'm doing is not working. See, Mary's simple response of trust. Would you trust in God that way this morning? Not in the riches or strength or pride in and of yourself. Turn away from all those things that you cling to to make yourself feel important and valued in the world. And instead of doing that, give yourself to Christ who makes you truly loved and truly valued by the one person who matters most, your Heavenly Father. And as you do, God will set you free from the love of this world, from being a slave to anyone or anything. I want to invite the band to come up, and as they're getting settled in, let me just close with this. In Christ, we live for an audience of one. And in Christ, God says to you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, and in you I am well pleased. We see in Mary's song the richness of having simple-hearted trust and taking God at his word. Written in grace, brethren, church, may we be these kinds of people. May we be like Mary this Advent. May we embrace the Lord Jesus, the child born to Mary, and become meek, not strong, humble, not proud, and hungry, not rich. Because real life isn't where the world says that that's found. It's in the kingdom of meekness, humility, and hunger where we find true joy, and God gets the most glory. Let's pray and celebrate this good news. Lord, we just uh, praise you for sending your son to become a baby and a manger. Because, God, we know that the baby in the manger is the man on the cross. And, Lord, we thank you that you that your kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And that you favor the meek, not the strong. The humble, not the proud. And the hungry, not the rich. Lord, help us to embrace the posture of Mary this, this Advent season, God. And really, every day of our lives. Help us to see that you are calling us to live those kinds of lives, to honor Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.